Welcome to Child Care Conversations with Kate and Carrie. Let's talk about these new changes. There is nothing that is earth shattering. Nothing earth shattering here in uh, minimum standards. There are a few things that are going to affect your program, but nothing is a big, huge deal like the anything that could place a child at risk has to be reported to licensing. That was such a huge deal last time um, and was super (laughs) frustrating because you're like, what? I have to notify you when a toilet overflows that could put a child at risk or make something unsanitary. But it happens a lot in the classroom where potty training. Anyway, we don't have anything like that. Um, So let's go ahead and get to it. Feel free to use the chat feature or the raise hand feature if you want to, um, if something comes up as we're going. First one, House Bill 59. This is just a little bit of a tweak of the change that happened in the spring requiring that we have a statement from all parents if the children engage in any water play activities, whether the child can swim on their own or not. So it's a tweak to that um, and adds that if you do swim instruction, you have to have specific types of uh, flotation aids. So if you are a school or a home that provides Swim lessons, it's telling you what kinds of additional equipment you need to have. It is still unclear whether playing in the sand and water table counts as a water play activity or not. But my suggestion would be if you have kids doing anything other than washing hands and going to the bathroom that involves water, go ahead and get that statement from the parents. And you're going to need to update it once a year because the babies obviously can't swim unassisted, but by the time they get to your pre-K classroom, maybe they can. So you're going to want to check that once a year. Can take the glasses off because I can read better. Uh, Senate Bill 29, again, doesn't really affect you. Um, it's mostly saying that only the health department can change things about our ratios or um, vaccine requirements or closing classrooms or schools. It can't be done by childcare licensing. It needs to be done by the health department. Um, I think most of us had already transitioned to that. It's not 2020 anymore. (laughs) And we're very comfortable with that being a health department decision. Um, Remember, COVID-19 still is a reportable disease. So if any of your kids or staff um, have a confirmed case of COVID, you do need to notify licensing and your local health department within two days or three days. Um, Okay, next one, Senate Bill 510. Um, Again, not going to affect most people. Um, It is just making sure that some of the information that is in applications to open a child care program is confidential. It hasn't been up to this point. If somebody filed what's called a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request about a child care center or about all the child care centers in an area, They were getting people's personal emails, personal address, personal phone numbers in those FOIA requests. They're now saying, "Mm, you don't need their home address, their personal contact information. So that's now going to be confidential. If you are an existing program and you want to make sure that your personal information won't go out, I suggest doing a new Form 2911 just to make sure that your information has been wiped uh, for future FOIA requests. Oh my goodness, how many pages is this FOIA request thing? Okay, 
<laughs> the next one is Senate Bill uh, 1098. This is the one that has got some people kind of wound up because it is requiring that every parent be given a copy of the parent's rights when they sign up to your school. Um, and that went into a effect September 1st. So any new families that have enrolled, if you haven't given them this, you are technically in violation of standards. And we have until the end of the month to give all of our families who are enrolled this document. The problem is nobody can find the document. The link inside the email that licensing sent you is broken. And to date, I have not been able to track it down. Oh, it's but it's still a reportable disease. And all reportable diseases have to be notified within. Okay, so um, Peyton said that she talked to somebody at licensing who said it wasn't reportable anymore. It's still on my chart. So I'm still going to report it, but it's up to you. <laughs> um, so the reason that licensing hasn't sent you a provider's guide to parent rights is that nobody can find it. We don't know where it is. So keep emailing your licensing rep and asking for it. Eventually, they're going to get it to us because they have to. We have to have it before the end of the month. Okay. So they're not going to cite anybody until we have access to this. Okay. Well, I, um, okay. On COVID, I guess maybe things are changing. I don't know. I'm, I'll, I'll pull it up. And if what I see on the state health department form is different, I will let people know in my email I got in my newsletter. Okay. <laughs> so we're getting different people are saying different things. So different health departments and different licensing reps are saying different things about COVID. I'm a better safe than sorry kind of person. I'd rather let people know about COVID um, or hepatitis or pneumonia or tuberculosis, any of those reportable diseases. If they started prior to 9-1, do we still need to? Yes. Um, yes. Regardless of when they started, we're going to have to give them that form. We have until the end of September to give um, people uh, the parents' rights statement um, for Senate Bill 1098. Now, this is something that you can put embed in your handbook going forward. Once we have what are the parents' rights, we can go ahead and just add it to your parent handbook and have it be one of those little line items that they initial at the time of enrollment. Okay. Um, okay. The next one is Senate Bill 1242. And this is not going to affect most people because it is guidance on if there was, if your school has a suspension or um, uh, if there's any administrative penalty in place for a school, it had said that a director cannot train their staff if the school is under administrative penalty or suspension. It has now been changed to say that if you were the director at the time that the suspension happened, you can't do training. But if you're a new director who comes into that school who has the problems and you were brought in to help fix those problems, you can train your staff. Okay. Again, not going to apply to most people because most programs are not having suspension um, or administrative penalty. Um, Senate Bill 1327. This is again 
or if you are opening a new program. So it's not going to apply to most people. Um, if you are opening a new center and you do not meet all the criteria for being a qualified director, you can be an interim director for up to a year. Meaning if somebody's starting a school and they don't have the one or two or three years of needed experience in early childhood, they have up to a year to be the director while they're trying to get all of their ducks in a row. Does that make sense? Okay, I got some head nods. Good. Okay, so this is the second um, change that is going to actually impact all centers, which is, you know how when somebody applies, they have to fill out the affidavit 2985, that one that says, hey, I'm not a convicted criminal, right? <laughs> So they've added a second affidavit that everybody applying to work uh, at your center must fill out. And it is form 2912. Form 2912 does not need to be notarized. You can make it into uh, something that they can download, fill out, scan and send back to you. Or you can make it a fillable PDF, or you can use DocuSign or something like that if you already have that as part of your um, your software suite. Um, so Tiffany, is there an update on when we'll get the form for Senate Bill 1098? No, we're just going to have to keep bugging them. Um, okay, so the new forms number is 2912, and it's for new hires from uh, anybody who applied to work at your center from September 1st going forward. So if they applied to work September 1st and you hadn't yet read this, you need to reach out to them and have them fill out the form, okay? But going forward, yes, they will need to fill out 2912, okay? So that one affects everybody. Um, I think they, we've got one more that just affects a few people. Um, the next thing, uh, the, the next ones are things that affect us, but we don't have to do anything, which is licensing and a whole bunch of other agencies are putting together a database of people who, so let's go back and talk a little bit about this form 2912. Um, the form 2912, they have to say yes or no to I have been convicted of or adjudicated for inappropriate relationships with children. There was a loophole in minimum in criminal background checks, allowing people who took probation for their inappropriate relationships with minors as opposed to a conviction. Does that, do you want, so when they were asked to plead guilty or not guilty, they said, I'll plead guilty in exchange for probation. So they're considered adjudicated, not convicted of having had an inappropriate relationship with a minor. Say they were a 17 year old, they were dating a 14 year old, this would be a situation where somebody would be adjudicated for having uh, inappropriate relationship with minors. I'm sure there's thousands of different situations where um, the DAs are deciding whether to adjudicate or um, go for a conviction. And so they're trying to close this loophole for people who are not registered sex offenders, but did have an inappropriate relationship with a minor at some point. Does this apply to substitutes as well as hires, Julie? Yes, it does. It applies to everyone. Anybody who is working for you, whether they are contract or whether they are um, 
an employee because they're still an applicant to the school. So this uh, Senate Bill 1849 is directing a whole bunch of state agencies to put together a database of people who were adjudicated or convicted for uh, having an inappropriate relationship with a minor. Uh, House Bill 1615 is funding two things for TWC to do and directing them to do having a pre-kindergarten partnership program. So this is going to affect a lot of schools. Um, There is going to be funding for pre-K kids who are enrolled at the school district, but there's not room at the school district for them to come to um, private and uh, nonprofit childcare programs across the state. And this will be run by TWC, just like the child care block grant fund is run by TWC. Okay. So yes, there will be paperwork, but if you're worried that um, public pre-K is coming into your area and it's going to cost you all your pre-K kids, you're going to want to be part of this pre-K partnership program, the PPP. Okay. Because that's a way for you to get those pre-K kids to stay at your school and to get paid by the state for those kids. Okay. The other one is they're setting up a scholarship program, um, again, administered by TWC, the Child Care Workers Scholarship Program. Uh, House Bill 1905 allows basically people who work for the school district to do school safety trainings for us for free. So that's good. Um, Since we're supposed to do school safety training once a year, we can now theoretically get that free from our local school. Um, here's one that people got a little excited about yesterday. So, uh, it is Senate bill 1145 Senate joint resolution 64, which is allowing local counties to, um, have childcare centers, not have to pay for property taxes. It allows the county or municipality to exempt qualifying child care facilities from having to pay taxes on all or a portion of the appraised uh, property value. So this means that anybody who owns their property um, could be um, immune from property taxes. This is going to be a county by county decision. So uh, if you want to, what is the bill for that? Um Senate Bill 1145 and Senate Joint Resolution 64, okay? (laughs) So this is one of those things where you're just going to have to keep in communication with your county commissioners. I would go ahead and write letters to your county commissioners if that is something that is of interest to you. Start going to county commissioner meetings. Um, But talking to them is the first step. (laughs) Um, Okay, going through text... Um, How do we find out more about the preschool partnership program? Well, it hasn't been set up yet. (laughs) So we're just going to have to wait until TWC sets it up, um, which will, I'm sure, take at least six months. So just keep an eye out for emails from Texas Workforce Commission. Texas Workforce Commission emails should always be like the first email you open. If you see an email from TWC, you always want to open that first. Um, because it might be somebody filing in for unemployment, or it might be something like um, this preschool partnership program. When information comes out about it, it will definitely be all over my newsletter. So if you're, you know, we try to make sure any big news is in our newsletter so that you guys have access to it. Um, And let's see, the school safety training. 
Um, you can just reach out to your local school and ask uh, if you can talk to their school safety officer. Um, you would love to schedule a training with them. So talk to your local uh, school office staff and they should be able to help you. Thank you for listening to Child Care Conversations with Kate and Carrie. Want to learn more? Check out our website at texasdirector.org. And if you've learned anything today, leave us a comment below and share the show.